Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question today is Michael Sarah movies. Normally, I recap, review, rehash every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after their original air dates, which, as y'all that regularly listen, know, and those of you who've never listened can suspect, the nature of that project means that there is often chunks of time where we are Buffyless. We are in one of those droughts right now. Our last episode of Buffy that we had to discuss was over two weeks ago, um, and we don't have a single Buffy episode to talk about in April. We will have three to talk about in May, thankfully, but we're headed into a frustrating time, and I'm sorry for those of you that have heard me discuss this several times, but I just like to update you guys. I just like to remind you of what's going on. So, um, like I said, we won't have any more Buffy episodes to talk about until May. In May, we will have three to talk about. May 18th, we will discuss the first of the, the first episode in the two-parter that ends season three, which is called Graduation Day Part One. May 18th, we'll be talking about that. But unfortunately, we don't get to talk about Graduation Day Part 2 until July 13th. So almost two months after the first part. What the fuck is that? You know what I'm saying? What the fuck is that? And then also the next episode that we should be talking about is called Earshot. It was originally slated to air on April 20th, 1999. But um, it was like that exact day? Wasn't it? Maybe it was originally slated to to air on the 27th or something, but in any case, it was going to play either that day or very shortly after that day, Um, which was, if you don't remember, 1999, April 20th, 1999 was when the Columbine shooting happened. So because that episode, Earshot, that should be the next one in the queue, but because we watch everything 20 years after their original air dates, we gotta wait because it was postponed. We won't get to watch that until, we have to watch it out of sequence and we won't get to watch it until September. So just so you know, what's going on? I don't know what else I'm gonna do, like my general plan, like usual. I don't like to leave you guys for more than a two or three week stretch without having any podcast episodes, but since we don't always get to talk about episodes of Buffy, 20 years after their original air dates, we have to talk about other shit. And this time I'm bringing to you a project that I was going to do a few months ago. I can't remember when exactly it was, but there was some other Buffy drought within the last six months or so. And I told you guys I was going to do this and then I didn't end up doing it. So I'm following through on my promise that no one was really waiting for. (laughs) And it is kind of arbitrary, but basically here's the backstory. I had like a little bit of a crush on Michael Sarah. Like it wasn't an all consuming kind of crush, but in, you know, like the 2005 to 2010 range of time, I had a little bit of a crush on him because I like 
most, I don't really have a type, but for the most part, if I was going to have a type, it would be scrawny nerdy boys. So Michael Sarah for sure fits into that category. And so I had this idea, like I said, like six months ago or so. I don't even remember when I originally had the idea. It was less than a year ago, at least, but several months ago. I own, I guess, four technically movies with Michael Sarah in it. And um, I decided to rewatch three of those movies and then answer the question in a podcast episode with you guys. Do we still like Michael Sarah? <laughs> so um, the one that I chose to leave out was Juno because for one thing, he's not really a main character in Juno. He's even though he's the like love interest of the main character, he and the one that knocked her up, he's not really that important to the story for one thing. For another, I've seen that movie a gazillion times and kind of the basis for me wanting to redo this, rewatch these movies, the other three that we're going to talk about today, is because I wanted to... I, I know this probably happens with you guys as well, but like because I really feel like the last, especially five or 10 years has really, as far as cultural representations, pop culture representations of women have gotten a lot better. And because of that, I, um, it's really easy to watch a movie that you loved even just 10 years ago, five years ago, that is like, oh, <laughs> you know, it's cringy now, like hashtag all your faves are problematic. So I basically just wanted to revisit these movies that I haven't seen in a while that I own to see if I still want to own them, to see if I still enjoy them, to see if they piss me off now. So without further ado, the three movies that we're talking about today that, and we're going to answer the question, do we still like Michael Sarah? Those three movies are, in order of their appearance into the world, Superbad, which came out in 2007, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, which came out in 2008, and then Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which came out in 2010. And I, I really only picked these movies because these are the three Michael Sarah movies that I have in my possession. Um, I own them, and they're ones that I've seen many times, and I haven't seen them in a while. And I, at one point in my life, might have called any one of these three movies my one of my favorite movies. Um, definitely when I saw Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, because of the way that it was... I don't, what do you call... Do you call it the cinematography? The photography? Probably because of the way that it was edited together like a video game. Um, no movie had really done that before this movie. And it was just really pretty to watch. <laughs> and I was just super struck by the Ramona character. I just wanted to be her. And I actually, the only time in my life that I haven't had like hair to my waist, like I've pretty much just always had the same hair. Like sometimes I have bangs and sometimes I don't, but for the most part, like most of my adult years, I've had long hair. The only time I didn't was after watching that movie. I decided to cut my hair short 
for the first and only time in my life so far. And I cut it like Ramona Flowers in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. <laughs> so, um, and it really genuinely has been at least five or more years since I've watched any of these three movies. Probably the one I've watched most recently would have been Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. It's possible it's been within the last five years that I've seen that one again. I've been kind of going through a little bit of a movie reassessment phase. I do this every once in a while. I own a lot of movies. Um, I don't have, I used to have like them all, I kept track of them all in an iOS app, but now that I don't have an iPhone anymore, I don't have that. And I, I've already downloaded another app to replace it on my Android phone, but I have not actually populated it with my, I did have like all my books, all my movies, all my records stored in there, but, um, in the iOS app that I have not repopulated again. So I can't tell you with accuracy how many movies I own, but it's probably within the, it's probably more than a hundred. Um, and lately I've just been thinking, how often do I actually watch the movies that I own? I'm doing this new thing. So this, this podcast, I don't know how much I'm going to actually talk about the movies. I mean, I am going to talk about the movies probably more than I think I'm going to be able to at this exact moment, but I'm, this is also just kind of going to be a what's up with Mixtress podcast episode in which we also kind of talk about Michael Sarah movies because spoiler alert, I was thinking that I would be pissed off by watching these movies again. Overall, I really wasn't that pissed off. I still enjoy all three of these movies. There are problematic aspects and we will discuss them, but for the most part, they weren't upsetting enough for me to want to throw them in the trash. So, <laughs> um, that's why it's probably not going to be the most interesting podcast episode to just talk about the movies. So, um, it's going to be a what's up with mixtures too. I, I try not to get too personal with this podcast. Really the only time I ever get personal on this podcast is when we don't have a Buffy episode to talk about. So when I'm not distracted by talking about Buffy, <laughs> that's when you guys have to actually listen to shit from my personal life. And I don't know if you guys like that or not. Um, let me know. Anyway, I really enjoy kind of every once in a while. I'm very like specific about the things that I own. Like I want all of my collections of things to be very obsessively curated. Like all of my TV shows, I want to really like them. All of my movies, same thing. You know, I don't want to have anything that I'm like, not necessarily that I'm ashamed of having, but anything that doesn't have purpose, you know? I wanted to have a purpose. I wanted to be, I, I don't own movies just because I like them. I own them because I specifically want to watch them over and over. Like I don't actually have, like with books, I don't have a very big collection of books because the only books I like owning are either reference resource type materials. I, I like having books that like I can look things up in. Like if I'm like, Ooh, who is that? Like, there was that uh, Indian goddess that was the goddess of music. Who is she again? Oh yeah, Sarah's body. I want to look her up in my Indian mythology book and then I go get it. I like being a reference librarian in my own house, but with the exception of those kinds of books, I don't really own very many other books. Like I've worked in a library for almost 15 years now and I don't even own that many books. It's kind of 
on the surface it seems kind of sad, but also I feel like I have access to everything, you know? And that's the same with movies as well. Um, almost every movie that I might think about adding to my collection is available in my library. So if it's not something that I really genuinely want to be at my fingertips and I want to be able to watch it anytime, I don't necessarily feel like I need to own a physical copy of it. I mean, I'm, I know most people don't really even own physical copies of movies anymore because they just uh, watch them, stream them online. But uh, I still like to actually own the physical copies of things. Like, if I can avoid using my crappy small town internet, I will do that. <laughs> so anyway, um, I've been kind of... I went through my movies recently and I I'd also, also do this thing where I don't really like to have movies in their cases, like, unless they're like a special, a really extra special movie to me, you know, I want to have them in like little binders. Like I want to throw the cases and the artwork away and just have the discs in binders so I can just, you know, and I just recently got rid of a whole bunch of cases. And it just feels so good to do that. I don't know why. So now I have like this mega binder full of alphabetized movies. And then I still have some on the shelves. Um, like, Michael, if you're listening, don't worry. I didn't throw away any of your cases. I know you don't like to do that. <laughs> I didn't do that to any of his movies. Um, just my own. And uh, yeah, anyway, you guys don't care about any of that shit. <laughs> Take a shot. Because I just said you guys don't care. I don't know what my point was in all of that. Whenever I said this was going to be a What's Up With Mixtress, I felt like I was about to tell some kind of personal story, but I don't remember what that was. <laughs> so anyway, just so you know, I'm not going to leave you. If you're listening to this podcast in real time, I'm not going to just like be totally silent for all of these weeks that we're without Buffy. There'll probably be, so this is, this is going to go up probably like the 2nd or 3rd of April. So this is out of sequence, like normally I'd be posting on a Saturday, but whatever. I didn't do it this Saturday, so. Um, and then I work next Saturday. So most likely I will post something on April 20th, and that will be two weeks before we talk about the next actual Buffy episode. So I'll have at least one more episode before we get back into the Buffy swing of things. I'm not sure exactly what I'll be talking about at that point. Um, could be uh, talking about a movie from 1999, 20 years later kind of situation because they're 1999 is one of my, a lot of my favorite movies came out that year. And that's probably just because of like the age that I was at, you know, I was, in 1999, I was 14, and then I turned 15 at the end of the year. So it was just, that's the time that, I don't know if you guys agree, but like, if this, if it was like this for your life, but for me, like most of the pop culture things that I really cling on to, like movies and music particularly, because that's mostly what I was into back then. I didn't watch a lot of TV back then. TV wasn't really that good yet, with the exception of Buffy. I was already watching Buffy at that point, but um, I wasn't, like, obsessed. I just watched it when it was on, and I liked it, because I just started watching it that year. Um, 
most of the things that I really like cling on to are from that time period, or I discovered them in that time period, not necessarily that they actually came out then. But, um, and I feel like that seems to be the same like conversations I have with other people, like the things that really like created their taste levels in pop culture really stem back from that time period. That is when it really started. I mean, for me, it was more, it really started in middle school, but like it really cemented itself in that time period, like 97 through 2001, you know, somewhere around that area. Um, why am I even talking about, oh yeah, because 20 years later. So I might do it like, um, 20 years later thing on movies. Let's see if there's anything what are the movies that came out? I know The Matrix and 10 Things I Hate About You both came out like last Sunday, 20 years ago last Sunday. So it's probably not going to be an exact thing. Let's see if anything came out around the 20th. Ooh, Virgin Suicides came out April 21st, 20 years ago. That'd be an interesting one to revisit. It would probably be kind of problematic now. All of these things are problematic now. Anyway, I don't know. I'm going to come back in two weeks and talk to you guys about something. Something. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about these movies. Let's talk about, do we still like Michael Sarah? Ah. In my little office area and I'm distracted by things. Okay. Um, okay, so the first, I watched these actually in order of their appearance into the world 2007 was super bad so i didn't really like i i had some certain things i was paying attention to basically i was just trying to pay attention to do i find this movie problematic now so this movie at this point is now 12 years old from 2007 and i probably watched it when it first came out i did not know until this watching of it it's written by seth rogan and you know, the main character's name is Seth. And Seth Rogen and Bill Hader play, like, cops in this movie, but it's really... Of the three, this one's definitely the most problematic. However, I was expecting it to be a lot worse than it was. It really, for 2007, it really wasn't that bad. Like... I would say just seeing, and seeing that it was written by Seth Rogen, overall, really not that problematic. Um, most of what's problematic in this movie is like, there were, I kept like a running count of um, how many times they call each other pussy. It was 15 and I might've missed a few. Um, they called a woman a bitch once, I think. Um, they called each other, one of them called the other one a retard once. So they called each other gay a couple of times, not too bad. And that was like really like, that was really pervasive back in that time period of like 2000 to 2008 or so. People were calling each other gay um, as an insult and, you know, retard was still a thing. Thankfully that has, I don't think that really happens anymore. So that's great. Either of those things. Um, so really that's the, 
the majority of something being problematic in this movie. It's really just that kind of thing. Like, the movie is essentially about, you know, the friendship between two boys. It's Michael Sarah and Jonah Hill. And um, it has kind of a fun, funky soundtrack. It's very, like, like 70s funk sounding type soundtrack. Um, Emma Stone's in it. The first movie I ever remember Emma Stone being in, actually. And she was great from the very beginning, of course. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Oh, they call each other fag several times. That's the, another count. Four times is how many I counted for that. Um, but the overall, the notes that I took for this movie are very short. <laughs> Um, written by Seth Rogen. I already said that. Um, don't be such a vagine. I wrote that. So that's another time that, like, you insult people by calling them, like, basically every time they insulted each other in this movie, they were either, it was either a slur for a gay person, um, a slur for a mentally handicapped person when they called each other retard, or... Um, just straight up calling each other gay or slurs for, or just, you know, names for body parts of women. They called each other that. Um, the other, like, stupid plot point in this movie, I had forgotten about this. You probably have too, <laughs> if you've ever watched Superbad. That moment where, like, they're at some weird, like, college party or something, um, or everybody's older than them and a woman dances with Jonah Hill's character and after he walks away, he's got a period stain on his pants because, you know, she was like grinding on his leg or whatever. God, that was a stupid plot point. And then people just like, dudes just sort of like made fun of him for that. And it was just, it was pretty dumb. It was more dumb than it was problematic, but it was also problematic. Um, so even though this was the movie out of the three that kind of pissed me off the most in the problematic sense, it really was not as bad as I was expecting. I also kept track of in all of these movies, people of color with names and also I know I kept track of queer people in the other two movies, but I didn't have that written down for this movie. And it's been like two weeks since I watched it at this point. Um, I don't think there were any gay people portrayed, any queer people at all portrayed in Superbad. I don't think so. But people of color with names, there were only two and um super bad one of them was someone that you just saw in like one scene he was michael sarah's lab partner in science class he said his name at one point he was an asian guy and then i don't even remember who the other guy was it was pretty sad that's a very white heteronormative movie written by seth rogan <laughs> um and a lot of just terrible, you know, ableist bullshit, especially just mostly in language, not the actual plot wasn't that terrible. I mean, the 
kind of general idea of the plot. There really wasn't much of a plot to speak of, but the general idea was they kind of they wanted to get laid before they got out of high school and it wasn't like a very they weren't they didn't really hit you over the head with that plot point you know it wasn't because that's what i was thinking it was gonna be since i hadn't seen it in a while i was like oh my god do they make some sort of pact that they're gonna get laid tonight and like do they make some sort of bet is there just some if this movie had been made in the 80s or 90s that would have been some terrible john hughes bullshit you know but it wasn't that bad it was just sort of like just in general they were like you know socially awkward dudes and they spend all their time together because they're best friends and they pretty much have been inseparable since they were babies and they love each other and all that and they just kind of haven't ever they haven't ever had a relationship with women and i I don't know. It was just sort of like, we should really get laid before we get out of high school. It wasn't too, it wasn't really rapey. It wasn't, you know, it was okay. It really was. <laughs> and it, their interactions with women were, for the most part, pretty respectful. Like, they still didn't know how to understand women yet because they hadn't, but the movie overall is just kind of, and the way it ends with them sort of like, they run into their love interests at the mall and then they sort of pair off and they just sort of walk away from each other and it's like you can tell this is this is them growing up they're now going to spend most of their time with women <laughs> and that was sort of a weird thing but it wasn't again it wasn't hitting you over the head with it it's still an enjoyable movie despite all of the you know i don't know <laughs> Oh, the only other person of color. I remember who it was. It was a, a black woman working at a convenience store. And they're definitely disrespectful to that character in general. They, like, sort of portray her as being a hysterical woman type character. Um, so she was the other person of color with a name. And that's just because she had a name tag on, really. Like, she was in a couple of different scenes. So she was a named character, but she was like the, I mean, there were probably people of color in the background. I wasn't counting that though. I was just counting people of color that had names, um, characters of color in the movie. And there was really just the two and that was it. Um, other notes. Let's see. Good soundtrack. Spermicidal lube. <laughs> I took that note just because I thought it was just an interesting little, thing to have in there whenever they were kind of talking about how they would like to get laid tonight if it if it works out that way um and michael Sarah's character was like i have condoms and spermicidal lube you know just in case you know and i thought that was interesting because i mean that shows a level of um sexual knowledge that most you know teenage boys do not take the initiative to have you know it's like if a teenage boy had known that you had a clitoris and you didn't have to tell him you know what i'm saying <laughs> that was just a nice little moment um cops disrespectful to the convenience store woman stupid period blood joke yeah i already talked about that um bill Hader's character was pretty terrible in this movie and probably seth rogan wrote him to be really terrible so that he could be the less terrible of the two which is kind of what he did between the relationship of Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah's character that was playing someone named Seth. So that's obviously his audience. That's obviously his surrogate character. He wrote 
he wrote Jonah Hill to be like kind of an over the top asshole so that Michael Sarah's character wouldn't look like such an asshole. Um, but anyway, Bill Hader refers to his first wife as a whore, as a dumb fucking whore. The whole plot point of this movie, I think was directed by, who's that guy I used to watch all his movies. Uh, I'm blanking on his name at the moment. Damn it. I'm not thinking of his name, but he does all those movies where like he will let his actors just really improv the shit out of his movies and he releases the unrated or uncut or whatever. And I think that's what my version of the movie is. So it's like I've learned since that I don't want the like extended version of movies because that usually just means there's a lot more stupid like white boy shenanigans that I don't need to see. This movie could have, I don't remember how long it was, but it could have easily been 45 minutes shorter and they could have cut out the majority of the whole incompetent cops bullshit. Like so much of the movie is Seth Rogen and Bill Hader. And I usually love Bill Hader so much playing these terrible cops. Like it's hard for me to separate. Like it's supposed to be funny but they are like so awful, incompetent, just terrible, terrible cops that I just, I didn't enjoy watching that at all. I didn't enjoy those scenes at all. Um, what is his goddamn name? He's the guy that did, um, this is 40 and uh, knocked up. <laughs> you guys are like screaming his name at me right now. Anyway, whatever. That's not really important. Let's move on. So it was fine. Like, I still want to keep that movie. I enjoy, especially like the first 45 minutes of the movie when they're establishing the friendship between Jonah Hill's character and Seth Rogen or, um, Michael Sarah's character. Um, their interactions with women were overall pretty respectful. Um, they were portrayed as being really dumb around women. The thing that, what else did I write? All girls are completely stupid and accepting and horny. Like overall, the women were portrayed in that movie as being just, just like real cool chicks. They're just like, you know, they're just like the dudes. They're just real cool and accepting and like whatever. So at least they weren't portrayed as like total bitches for the most part, but also, they didn't really, they weren't really, you know, fully drawn out characters. Did I already say whether or not it passed the Bechdel test? I don't think I did. It does kind of barely. There's only one conversation when um, I think Jonah Hill's character is approaching Emma Stone and one of her friends in the hallway. And you kind of overhear a little bit of their conversation as he's walking up and it's not about a guy. And that's it. And I'm pretty sure that other chick was a named character. All I couldn't tell you right now. That is the only time it passes the Bechdel test though. So let's go ahead and move on to the second movie of, do we still like My Michael Sarah? Um, I guess if we want to, I, you know, I'm not literally looking at just Michael Sarah's character. He's just the reason why I ever like watched or owned these movies. Um, as far as likable dude characters, he really is the most likable dude character in any movie that he's in from this time period at least. He was really good at playing this sort of 
quiet, nerdy, generally respectful of women type character. I really have no clue what movies he's done since then, so don't ask me. Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist is, um, I have the least notes about this movie because I really just allowed myself to just enjoy it. Probably out of these three movies, this is the one that's the most rewatchable for me. It's, um, and I, I realized this is the first time I've paid attention to who wrote it. Um, it's written by, the screenplay was written by like two women. It's based on a book called Nick, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. And it was written by Rachel Cohn. I don't really know how to pronounce that. It's C-O-H-N is her last name. So Con, Cohn, whatever. And who is the other author? He didn't write the screenplay, but it was written by two people. I don't know who the other author was. It might have been David Leviathan. Leviathan? It was some other author that I, anyway, whatever. I'm not actually looking things up right now. So <laughs> anyway, it was written by, you know, women. So that's probably one of the reasons why I have like no notes on this movie. It is really sad. I wrote down three quotes. I kept track of the people of color with names, the queer people, whether or not it passed the Bechdel test. And I wrote down the actress's names, Ari Grainer and Kat Dennings. And who wrote the movie and the year it came out which is 2008 and that is all I wrote down that is it so here are the quotes I wrote down you don't know what it's like to be straight it's awful <laughs> so in this movie Michael Sarah both in this movie and in Scott Pilgrim vs. the world he's in a band and in this movie he's in a band with everyone else in his band is gay and he's the only one that's straight and so he says that to his bandmates. <laughs> I don't even remember what this quote was in reference to, but it's somebody at some point said, cherish one another, okay? <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Anyway, um, and then I wrote down a quote from Ari Grainer. For most of the movie, she's lost and she's drunk and she's by herself. And at one point she's in... Um, She's in a bus, a train depot or bus station or whatever, and she's trying to get a ticket, but she doesn't have enough money. And she's talking to the, to the person at the ticket counter. And she's talking about how she doesn't, she woke up in a van full of people because it was the band. Um, at one point she got thrown, she was like passed out and the, the gay guys from the band were all going to take her home, but in their van and Kat Dennings, her friend wasn't there so she wakes up in a van she doesn't know surrounded by people she doesn't know and so she runs away when they're not looking and she gets to the bus station so that's why she's lost but anyway so she's talking to the, the person at the ticket counter and she's like you know talking about how she blacked out and she woke up and she had been kidnapped because of course you would see it that way and then she says what Oh man, I can't remember what the first part of the quote was, but it was something about, um, you know, waking up kidnapped with a bunch of weird guys. And she's like, sounds like fun, right? Not always scary. <laughs> Just like the way that she says it. I love Ari Grainer so much. She needs to be in more stuff. She's absolutely amazing. Mom, she is, 
um, Olivia's sister in Fringe. Um, she plays Olivia's sister. So she's not... So just in case you're wondering who Ari Grainer is, I'm always like talking about her. She's just so cool. And I want to see her in more things. I always want to see her in more things. But she's so funny in this movie just being like this drunk girl. And they don't really... because Probably because this movie is written by women... They really don't portray her, I mean, they portray her as being kind of dumb, and she's kind of a dumb drunk, dumb blonde drunk, but they don't hit you over the head with it. Again, they they still respect her, they still, like, genuinely care about getting her home safe, they don't, like, you know, they don't treat her super dismissively, like, Kat, obviously, I don't remember, <laughs> I guess her name is Nora, Nora like really does care about her and they're best friends they you know she really cares about her she wants her to get home you know like i don't know they don't treat her like shit but she's also i mean they pay a lot more attention to the personalities and the characterization of all the other men and nora so overall this movie does not have a ton of women in it um I didn't keep track of women with names. I probably should have done that. I did with um, with Scott Pilgrim once we get to there. Scott Pilgrim I took the most notes on, too. Um, I might talk about that the most because that's the one I literally just finished watching. But anyway, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist is just a cute little, like, high school love story type thing. Like, all the events of the entire movie are, like, within a 24-hour period. Like, not even... Like, they're at school at the beginning of the day, and then they go out at night, and most of the movie takes place of them, the events of one night. Um, and it's fun. There's music in it, but it's not really music that I like. It's kind of like indie, indie music from 2008 kind of shit. It's not really for me. It has the least great soundtrack of these three movies, in my opinion, even though it's called Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, and it uh, features you know, bands and, and Michael Sears iPod. That's really dingy. Um, but yeah, anyway, people of color with names, there was only one and off the top of my head, I can't think of who that would be right now, but I did write it down that there was one <laughs> queer people. There were three, maybe more because there was the two gay guys in the band had names. Oh yeah, one of them was Asian, I think. I think one of the gay guys in the band was Asian. So I think that's the one person of color with a name. And I might be misremembering that, but I'm pretty sure. And then um, there was like a guy that they sort of picked up during the night that was like on a date with one of the guys. So he had a name. I don't remember what it was, but he did. So there were three queer people with names. So that was kind of cool that like they were kind of like the main characters that were there throughout the night. You know, they were a part of the whole thing. And it, of course, when I first watched this movie, it very much endeared me to my crush on Michael Sarah that he would be the one straight guy in a band full of gay guys. I love that. <laughs> um, that's charming to me. And really, like, that's the thread of Michael Sarah crushness that kind of runs through all three of these movies. Like the thing I love the most about super bad is the friendship between Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah's character. Cause they are like 
almost in love with each other. They care about each other so much. And like, that's really the thing that I remember about that movie and the thing that I like about that movie. All the stupid other plot bullshit that's in that movie, I could just, you know. All I really want is like a play between the two of them just walking around town, like just talking to each other. You know, if the whole movie of Superbad could be like the first 20 minutes of Superbad, I would love that movie so much. Maybe I wouldn't have thrown away the case. <laughs> and of course, in this movie, he's, you know, the one person in a band full of gay dudes. And then in um, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, he is, his roommate is a gay guy and they sleep in the same bed together because it's just like this tiny, tiny, tiny studio apartment. And so like, there are several scenes in the movie where he's like waking up and next to not only his gay roommate but also whoever that whoever he brought home that day <laughs> there's this one scene where there's two guys that his gay roommate has brought home and all four of them are just in bed together because <laughs> that's where where they need to sleep you know and there's really no like no homo type jokes in either Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist or Scott Pilgrim versus the World. There's really none of that. Like, Michael Sarah's character is just really close to whoever these gay people are. His roommate in Scott Pilgrim and um, his bandmates in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. He's just close to them and there's no like, and he's definitely a straight guy. It's established that he's a straight guy and he's hanging out with a bunch of gay dudes, but there's not a lot of like, the gay dudes aren't trying to hit on him. He's not trying to like, oh, just because I hang out with these gay guys doesn't mean I'm gay. You know, there's none of that, which is really nice and, and kind of actually surprising considering these movies did not come out, you know, in the last three years. Um, so overall, I just don't have any notes for Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. It definitely passes the Bechtel test. It happened like three and a half minutes in between Ari Grainer's character and Kat Denning's character because they're like best friends and the movie is almost more focused on, it's pretty equally focused on both Nick and Nora, but it's, I don't know, I think it, I feel like it's a little more focused on Nora, which makes sense because it's written by women. And I, this movie is just good. It's just, it's enjoyable. It's just a fun little like rom-com and I can watch it pretty much anytime. It's just a fun movie. Don't really have any um, complaints about that movie. So let's go ahead and go on to the one that I have the most notes on, which is Scott Pilgrim versus the world came out in 2010. This movie, okay, so I just watched it. It has the most characters that are women with names. Um, and it's not super problematic. Like none of these three movies are super problematic. I would say that this one is, uh, I don't, it's probably just as problematic but in different ways to super bad like this movie doesn't have like nobody's insulting each other by calling each other fag or retard or gay or anything or pussy in this movie that was the main offense in super bad in this movie the problematic aspects are more in the plot points um so the whole like plot conceit of this movie is it's based on a comic book 
and it's um, Scott Pilgrim, Michael Sarah's character. He gets um, involved with this girl named Ramona Flowers, kind of a manic pixie dream girl. Not really. She's more of a morose pixie dream girl. <laughs> Um, but literally she's a dream girl because he sees her in a dream before he meets her. So gross, right? So those are the things that are gross about this movie. It does pass the Bechdel test, although I'm kind of like jumping all over. My notes are all over the place because I decided I like refused to turn the page. So I just like wrote every new note in some other corner of the page. <laughs> um, but yeah. It does pass the Bechdel test like two minutes in, but every time, and it passes several other times during the movie, but every time it passes, it's a really superficial exchange. Like there are, I made a list of the women with names in this movie and there are, I could have even missed one, but I wrote down seven characters, women with names in this movie. There are four people of color with names and there are three queer people with names or did they all have names? There were at least like four or five queer people portrayed in the movie. Some of them were just like people that, you know, were there for like a second in the background because they were somebody that, um, Michael Sarah's roommate brought home. So I don't think they, they were not all named, but there were, you know, several queer people portrayed in the movie. Um, probably more than five overall, actually. I think my, I would, didn't count somebody, but anyway, whatever. There are a lot of actors in this movie that we recognize now. Anna Kendrick plays his sister. Brie Larson plays one of his exes. Chris Evans plays one of Ramona's exes. So the, uh, okay. The whole conceit with this movie is he starts dating her and he has to defeat all of her seven evil exes. And she's sort of portrayed as somebody that's like, in the past, she's been a bitch. She's gone out with a lot of people. She's, they didn't specifically say this, but they sort of portray her as being like, in the past, she was really into bad boys, but now she's going out with you because she wants to give nice guys a try. Most of the problematic aspects of this movie are that kind of thing that like, they're not specifically telling you that that's what they're doing, but it's what they're doing. Nothing is like really overtly sexist or racist or otherists in this movie, but it's definitely there in the subtext. So that's what's almost, it's almost more infuriating whenever that stuff is kind of buried in this movie is well done enough that the problematic aspects can easily be overlooked in this movie. Um, okay. So the whole conceit is he has to defeat each one of her evil exes. And it's very much in a video game format of like he, they, he gets points every time he kills them and he deals with them in chronological order. So the first person that he fights is like somebody that she went out with in like fifth grade or something. I don't remember, but it was like, you know, at some point like middle school or before. And I just kind of want to go through the list of the seven evil exes real quick and the way that they were dispatched, because a lot of the problematic aspects of this movie are in that exchange. The first evil ex in each one, 
Like, you get more points for defeating. Like, you're going up through the levels like a video game. So the first one that he fights is an Indian guy. And at first, like, there's not anything super shitty and racist about the whole thing. You know, just like when he says his name, his last name is Patel, and he's an Indian guy. Okay. Um, but part of the fight sequence towards the end they start doing like a kind of a racist like Hindi Bollywood type thing but it's one of those things that like it was definitely kind of gross but it wasn't over the top about it so I couldn't tell if it really was racist or not <laughs> kind of thing I think it probably was but they definitely could have been a lot worse about that but just in the okay so each one of these exes were they were all pretty easy to defeat for the most part and they all had a qualifier to them that set them apart from you know the default I say with quotes of straight white cis able-bodied dude so the first guy was an Indian and it was only once he was defeated it was only um, a thousand points to defeat him he was level one level two was a cis white able-bodied dude but he was sort of a super masculine super butch um, white dude that was played by Chris Evans so you know this is a movie from the point of view of skinny little white boy Michael Sarah like that is a trope also in like quote-unquote nerdy boy movies where like the macho dude is someone to be hated and to defeat so you know he, he kind of goes on this list too he was pretty easily defeated you only get 2,000 points for defeating him the third guy was a straight white cisgender dude but he was vegan and they really did hit you over the head with making fun of a vegan dude um, and he was only 3,000 points to defeat and then one of the evil exes was a girl cool right except that when um, the fight with her was probably the most problematic of the entire moment of the entire movie because when she shows up it's just like blow after blow of like oh that's shitty oh that's shitty a movie that has queer characters in it and positive queer portrayals of characters positive portrayals of queer characters does not um, do the same for this woman that is the only woman ex of Ramona she shows up and Ramona up until that point she's just sort of been kind of aloof about all these people she will talk about their backstories sometimes they show like a little comic book as she's talking about like why she was with that person she's like it was me and them against the world until one day it wasn't kind of thing but with this character she just is very dismissive towards her she calls her a bitch I think she says well I was just a little bit bi curious and 
And the, the girl responds, which I think is hilarious. She's like, well, I'm by furious And then she starts kicking. But basically just, you know, she basically says, she literally says, it was a phase. I was a little bit by curious You're a bitch. And then she fights her. And this is the first time, like, all the other fights so far, she has just sort of, like, stood idly by during one of the fights she disappeared while the fight was happening like she's just been completely disinterested in this whole thing but with this it's like and it's pretty clear that they decided to have to portray her as fighting this particular ex because they didn't want to show michael sarah beating up a girl but i just think in this particular case you know like that quote in deadpool is it sexist to hit a girl? Is it sexist not to? I don't know. You know, I think in this case, it was more sexist for him not to fight her because he was, and it's all just like very over the top video game fighting. So it wasn't, you know, it wouldn't be triggering for um, victims of domestic abuse. I don't think if that was their concern, but I doubt that was their concern. They just basically thought, hmm, it might be problematic to show him hitting a girl. So instead we're going to show Ramona getting involved. So she does most of the fight with this particular evil ex. And at one point, um, the ex says to him, so I can't even remember her name. I know she was a named character, but I don't remember it. But anyway, he says to her basically like she says to him basically like you have to do it yourself with your hands she can't defeat me for you um and then ramona like gets behind him and she starts using his arms to punch her and in the end even though she is a higher level than the other dudes so far she was extremely easy to defeat because like the fight between her and Ramona was just you know kind of forgettable like neither of them most of the other fights like you see that that person has a specific power but this chick didn't really I don't remember her having like a super cool power or anything um it's they were just really dismissive to her in general showing Ramona fighting with his arms and then the way that she's defeated in the end she's like lifting up her leg to like drop kick him and he's on the ground and Ramona like tells him a secret that like the back of her knee is her weak spot and he reaches out and barely pokes her on the back of the knee and she crumples to the ground like she's having an orgasm and that's how she's defeated She's defeated by the back of her knee being barely touched by a scrawny white dude. Really? Really? So that one is the thing that pisses me off the most about this movie. Also, Evil X 5 and 6, they were Asian twins and they were fought together and their score was combined. So up to this point, 1,000 to defeat the Indian dude, 2,000 to defeat Chris Evans' character, 3,000 to, to beat the vegan, 4,000 to beat the girl, and then 6,000 
to be two Asians at once in one level. So that seems pretty dismissive, like the people of color, anyone that's not a white dude on this list. Um, the Indian guy was level one, the easiest to defeat. The girl was really fucking easy to defeat. And then the Asian guys were fought together for one combined score. So even though like on the surface, you might not be noticing these things, I think that is dismissive of any characters that aren't scrawny white dudes named Michael Sarah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then the highest level, the one that was the most difficult to defeat, was of course a white guy. The most recent ex, someone that she actually goes back to for part of the movie, and when she goes back to him it's just sort of like she has no mind of her own, and she literally says, I can't control myself when I'm with him, and she has like a chip on the back of her neck, like she's literally being mind controlled by this guy. And that seems real shitty, because that just takes... And she's like sitting at his side quietly like a dog for almost the entire last couple of scenes of the movie. So he's like literally fighting to win her. Um, they kind of subvert that a little bit at the end because... Yeah, I, I don't even want to get into... They kind of subvert that. That whole like he's winning her thing. Like it's they're able to be subtle about that towards the end so it doesn't seem quite like that is what is happening. There's not like some huge theatrical kiss at the end. You don't even really know if they do kind of walk off together but it's sort of in the way of like we need to agree that like maybe we're gonna continue dating but we don't know where this is going and like this isn't some ultimate true love thing which was nice that they didn't you know Again, all three of these movies have a subtlety to them in some aspects that most movies wouldn't be subtle about, which is probably why I liked them in the first place. Um, okay, so I've been talking for like an hour at this point, um, so I kind of want to just get through the rest of my notes. Oh, there's... Okay, does it pass the Bechdel test? Yes, it does, like I said earlier, but they're all very superficial exchanges, such as, like, there are several that it kind of passes, I guess, but it's just literally a person introducing themselves to another, a woman introducing themselves to another woman, and that's the pass. Um, overall, the treatment of women is not great in this movie. Almost every woman, almost every female character in this movie is someone that either has dated or is currently dating Michael Sarah's character. And like he's, so he's in this band and the drummer is a girl, but she used to date him and she's just really dry and she's sort of always side-eyeing him. And you can tell that she never really let it go and they never show her really interacting with anyone except the people in the band. Like, she just does not exist outside of this band. You know, she's a very one-dimensional character. And towards the end, he does apologize to her for being such an asshole, and she kind of supports him moving on to Ramona. But she doesn't ever have any conversations with Ramona. There's also a character, a problematic relationship, 
Um, in the beginning of the movie, Scott Pilgrim, Michael Sarah's character, is dating um, a woman named Knives Chow, who's not a woman. She's 17 years old and he's 22. Gross, right? Although it's very evident that like nothing has ever happened between them. They just sort of hang out when she gets out of school and like they hold hands, but that's it. Like they've never even kissed. Um, so they make it very evident that like nothing gross is actually happening here, but it's still gross. Like he's refusing to grow up. I mean, the whole reason why she's written into the story is like he's refusing to grow up. So he's dating a high school girl. And not only that, but she's a Chinese high school girl that goes to a Catholic school, like with the uniform and everything. <laughs> Although they really don't hit you over the head with that. I'm not sure if we ever, we might see her in her school uniform once, but it, it's not overly sexualized. Luckily. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, if you're thinking about the things in this movie, the plot points in this movie and the characterizations in this movie, you can find problems. But when you're watching it, you if you're a white girl like me, I guess, um, it's kind of easy to ignore some of the problematic aspects because again, they're being subtle about it. It's subtle racism and sexism and ageism in this movie. Um, people of color with names for the X of color was the easiest to defeat. Yeah. I already told you guys that screenplay by dudes directed by Edgar Wright. Um, the, they did sort of portray all of the characters as being cool though. So I think you were supposed to not think the Indian guy was cool, but with that as the exception, I think all the other characters, even people that were supposed to be evil exes, even like his evil ex, she was actually a super cool chick. And I'm pretty sure they were metric songs that she was playing on stage. That was Brie Larson's character. So with the exception of like some of the problematic aspects of all these characters, they were all really, even the vegan guy had some really cool powers. They were all shown as being cool. You know, like they were all characters that were supposed to be respected, at least for their coolness levels, if nothing else. Um, what else we got? Oh, there was this stupid thing where Kim, she was the drummer in his band. The, a lot of the movie is set at like different battle of the band stuff. And the first band that they battled, there was a girl drummer. And she was like, oh, girl drummer. They have a girl drummer. I'm a girl drummer. And then they just sort of like shot daggers at each other with their eyes like because you would hate on another girl she was very girl hating she was very girl hating like she only interacted with boys and she had disdain for all other women in her path and so that sucked that sucked for that character um okay what else we got is ramona manic pixie dream girl again like i said she she really is pretty one-dimensional. They just sort of, she's very monosyllabic. Like she's not demonstrative. She's not like super in love with him. She's the only girl that's shown as not being super in love with him, which makes 
I guess that's what it, we're supposed to think makes her more desirable to him. I don't know, but again, like I said before, she's more of a morose pixie dream girl because she's just very monotone, kind of sarcastic. She, but she has all of the other aspects of manic pixie dream girl, kind of like she disappears without saying goodbye. She says at one point or maybe more than one point she's just trying to live in the moment like you know he wants her to to like make plans and like he's put off the first time she changes her hair color her hair color changes from pink to blue to green that's like the most characterization she really has in this movie unfortunately but when she first changes her hair color the first time he sees it he kind of freaks out um, because he's like, she didn't even make a big deal out of it. She just changed her hair color. She's fickle. I don't know. Um, but at least he didn't like, like most girls would make a big deal out of it. But she didn't, you know, whatever. Um, I guess there is another person of color, but she didn't have a name. Knives has a friend from school that they show her with several times, but every time she talks to her, I don't think she's she's never named and every time she talks to her she's talking about Scott and how much she loves him and all that bull bullshit um, a few of the things that were funny in the movie um, at one point whenever he first meets her he's first having a conversation with her they're at a party and he's like trying to wow her with this stupid knowledge about Pac-Man and she's nonplussed because she's always nonplussed. But then he he reacts by saying, I'll leave you alone forever now. And then she says, thanks. And he leaves. And obviously he didn't leave her alone forever now. But that was kind of one of my favorite little moments. I'll leave you alone forever now. Thanks. Um, I, I wrote the girl of his dreams, literally. Because at one point he actually says she's the girl of my dreams. And he literally dreamed about her right before he met her. So that was kind of gross. Um, I wrote down lady dudes because he was asking people at the party. There was this little cut sequence where he'd be like, dudes, what do you know about Ramona Flowers? Dudes, what do you know about Ramona Flowers? And then he approaches two women and says, lady dudes. <laughs> I'm just going to start calling people lady dudes. There's also a scene um, the first time she brings him over to her apartment and she's going to give him some tea because it's cold. And she's listing all the different types of tea she has. And that's a funny little scene because one of the tea types, I think they were all actual teas except liver disaster. <laughs> she's just like listing constant comet, sleepy time, liver disaster, raspberry, blueberry, you know. <laughs> so that was funny. Um, I'm not sure. Again, this is another one. I don't know if I feel like there's something problematic here, but right after like she the tea is like steeping or something and he's super cold in her apartment so she goes to get him a blanket and he just sort of starts wandering around and kind of follows her so this is a total accident that like she's changing her sweater and so he sees her in her bra and he immediately covers his eyes and he's like i'm sorry and she's like i'm changing she didn't first of all she didn't close the door she you know, he thought she was just going to get him a blanket. He had no idea she was changing. So like it's written as it's not his fault that he caught her changing. However, as soon as he covers his eyes, she just like walks over to him and like 
she starts making out with him basically. So with her top off. So he catches her and he's, and she's like, dude, I'm changing. But then she starts making out with him. So it's written grossly. It's kind of like, look, it totally wasn't his fault. She's the one that came on to him. She wanted him to find her without her top on, you know, it's written kind of like that. So now that I think about it, I do think that bugs me. They really shouldn't have written it that way. You know, they really shouldn't have. Anyway, um, kind of racist Bollywood sequence. I told you about that. Japanese guys. Okay. Again. Okay. So the, the Japanese twins, this is a battle of the bands. Their battle was kind of dismissive as well because he didn't directly fight them. It was his band playing against their band in the battle of the bands. So it was just the twins were a band together and then his band. And just the music is like at some point during the music on their end, it manifested as two twin dragons. Really? Like, come on. Versus like some King Kong type character or like some giant ape or something. Michael Sarah's band, their manifestation was some kind of ape. And then those like creatures defeated each other with their music playing. I don't know. It's hard to describe, but it's a little racist. A little bit. A little bit on the nose there. But again, it's like, I don't, I, I, it's kind of making me question like, like, is it ever okay that like Japanese dudes are represented as a dragon? I mean, it's part of it's part of a culture and they get to be a part of that culture. But like when it's the only way that somebody's represented and the fact that them together combined were one score, you know, like the, the only enemy of these evil exes that was difficult to defeat was the white dude was the straight up Jason Swartz, Schwartz, Schwartz, Schwartzman, Schwartzman was the literal other nerdy white dude in the movie. It was him. That's it. You know? So I think that's all of my notes, really. Um, there were moments where you're expecting it to be more problematic than it is. Um, I definitely going into it, this was the one that I was most worried about watching again. And it wasn't, again, just like super bad, it wasn't as problematic as I thought it might be watching it again. And I very much like forget movies, like even though I've seen each of these movies at least five times, um, I forget things very easily. So it's almost like watching them again for the first time. Um, would I love any of these? Do I still love any of these movies? Love is kind of a strong word. I like them enough to keep them in my movie binder. None of these three movies still have their cases, so I don't love them that much. Scott Pilgrim versus the World, being that this is the first time I've watched it in probably a good seven plus years, I probably don't need to watch it again until another seven plus years when I go, hmm, 
Do I still like that movie? It's still in this binder. Let's watch it again. <laughs> um, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, I probably will watch again every few years. Um, Super bad. I might watch the first 20 minutes <laughs> every few years. But Scott Pilgrim is probably the one that, like, if I, if I, like, had a friend that really liked this movie or something, I might give it to them. I don't know if I need to see this movie ever again, but it's enjoyable. Like, the thing that's enjoyable about this movie is the way that it's shot, the photography and the visual effects um, and the sound effects. It's... Here we go. Here's the perfect context with which to watch Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. You know when you first read Ready Player One by Ernest Cline and you thought, man, this would make a great movie. And then it came out. And then the movie came out like years later, many years later. And you watched it and you were like, oh my god, this is terrible. This is the worst movie ever made. If you could go back to that time, the first time you read Ready Player One, before you realized how problematic that book is in and of itself, and you wanted to watch a movie that would scratch that itch of seeing a movie adaptation, it's, I mean, it's not at all, at all the same storyline, but sort of the vibe that I wanted Ready Player One to have as a movie, Scott Pilgrim has. I don't know. That might be kind of a stretch for a lot of people, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> um, yeah. I realized as I was watching Scott Pilgrim just now before I started taping this for you guys that it would be, it would have been great if from the beginning I was doing things like rating these movies the way that I normally rate Buffy episodes, like, like object of affection, <laughs> outfit, you know, all that. But I did not do that. <laughs> at all. Um, I don't know if I could do that just by thinking back on it right now. Um, but overall, it's fun to go back and rewatch these movies. Um, are they as good as movies like Easy A with Emma Stone? No. <laughs> do they? What is the ultimate answer to the question, do we still like Michael Sarah? Overall, his character in these three movies is the most likable in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, second most likable in Superbad, and I think that Michael Sarah as a character doesn't need to be the main character in anything. So I think he's great as part of a duo like he was in Superbad against Jonah Hill's character. He's great as a duo against Kat Dinning's character in Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. But being that Scott Pilgrim versus the world is mostly about him as a main character, I don't really feature Michael Sarah as a main character. In general, I would say that about any, like, boy crush I would have. You know, like, I would much rather see, you know, a movie with a chick as the main character and there's just a likable dude. <laughs> Such as, um, like in Bridesmaids, um, Chris, what's his name? I don't even remember his name, but the guy from IT Crowd that is the love interest 
to Kristen Wiig's character in Bridesmaids. That is the level of, like, feature I need for a love interest in a movie. In a hetero love story movie. Just, you know, they're there, they're supportive, they're sweet, they're funny, they're respectful, and, you know, they're good dudes, but they don't need to be there the whole time. It doesn't need to be about them, you know? Um, we've had enough movies about cis, straight, able-bodied white dudes. We've had enough. We can really stop for a while now. <laughs> we can start bringing cis, white, straight, able-bodied dudes back into the limelight again after a good decade or two without them being the main characters. Like, I'm not saying they shouldn't get hired. I'm not saying they should get treated as badly as women should. That's not what I want. <laughs> but just, just, you know, have them as side characters for a while, okay? They've had the spotlight for a really long time. <laughs> anyway, uh, I know I'm preaching to the choir there for the most part. I hope you guys are having a great April so far. Um, I will see you again in a couple of weeks. I'll be back um, on April 20th to talk about something. Something. I don't know. Something. Do we still like Michael Sarah? Uh, I kind of didn't really directly answer that question, but I think yes. I think overall, yes. Overall, he... And again, like I've really only seen him in these three movies plus Juno, and that's pretty much it. Oh, I saw him in Arrested Development. Um, unpopular opinion. I don't really like that show. There, I said it. <laughs> um, yes, because he almost always plays like this sort of soft-spoken dude that is generally respectful of women. Hopefully some of that comes from his actual character and how he chose to portray these people. Um, but he was very good at that role for me. Like, he was just basically a supportive dude to women in Nick and Nora, in, um, in Juno. In some ways, every interaction that he had with his love interest Becca in Superbad, he was like that. You know, he when he toasted to her while getting drunk... He toasted to respecting women, which is one of the only things I actually remembered about that movie <laughs> before watching it again a couple weeks ago. Um, so overall, yes, we still like Michael Sarah. Do we have a crush on him? Maybe not necessarily. <laughs> I never like found him to be like super cute or anything. I just liked the way that he interacts with women in movies for the most part. Again, I haven't seen them all. I'm sure he's a total dick bag in some movie that I don't know about. And I don't need to know. It's fine. I'm happy with these four Michael Sarah movies that I have in my life. Um, and I'm not going to throw any of them in the trash. So, yay! Although it's so satisfying whenever you find a movie that it's like, yep, never going to watch that again. I just recently threw away, okay, Michael, if you're listening... <laughs> He listens to my podcast more lately, so you're going to be mad about this piece of information, but I have a really good reason for it. I threw away Fight Club. Hear me out. Hear me out. It's really bad. If you think back on that movie, it is absolutely horrendous to women. It hates women. It wants them all to die. It thinks they're bitches. There's an actual quote in the movie that's something like 
we're a generation of men raised by women. Is another woman really what we need? And then there's that whole plot point of like selling rich women their fat asses back. It's a really, really problematic movie that most people, including me, have loved at one time. And I don't ever, ever want to watch it again. It just grossed me out to know that I still had it. And all I had was the disc. I didn't even have the case anymore, but I just threw it in the trash. So I know you're going to be upset about the revelation of that information to my Michael, but if you really think about it, we're not going to miss that movie. If you want, just read the book again. The book is probably still really problematic, and the author has sort of acknowledged that um, he thinks that maybe Fight Club sort of incited the new alt-right movement, or had something to do with it, or the alt-right movement cites that book slash movie as being one of their favorites. He feels, Chuck Palahniuk feels some responsibility for that whole thing because of what he wrote. He doesn't really like the way it was portrayed in the movie because it was a lot more problematic in the movie than it was um, when he wrote it, but it was still, and he had a lot of shit that he was dealing with. Like Chuck Palahniuk is obviously not a super sane dude. He only just came out um, as being gay in the last, like, maybe 10 years. So most of his career writing super fucked up shit about, like, his books are the most depraved fiction that I've ever read. And I've read Poppy Z. Bright, you guys. Um, not to say I didn't enjoy it. He thinks the way that he views the world is is very fucked up, but it's very different. So mostly I was interested in it for that reason. But who knew I was going to talk about Fight Club? Hey, it came out 20 years ago this year. So I did throw it away and it felt good. So I did rationalize it. I'm like, okay, Michael's going to hate that I'm doing this, but um, I'm still going to do it because it's my movie. <laughs> And I don't ever want to look at its face ever again. And if for some reason he really needs to watch it someday, we can always check it out from the library. <laughs> like, that's fine. It's not like we can't have access to that movie ever again if for some reason I want to watch it again someday. Anyway. So, I don't feel bad. It's out of my life. It's like one of those things. It's just like, sometimes I associate... I, I kind of put metaphysical energy into things and like something that has that much hatred for women and people of color like that movie really hates women like all the jokes about like bob and his bitch tits and like he was the only male character that had any sort of empathy or emotions and he was like killed horribly and portrayed terribly and it definitely doesn't pass the Bechdel test because there's really only like one movie, one woman in the whole movie. And she is literally blamed for all the terrible shit that he does in the movie. Sorry, I did not know I was going to talk about Fight Club. <laughs> anyway, but knowing all of that, like just bad energy around women, and I am one, and guess what? They're 50% of our population. I just couldn't have that in my house anymore. I just couldn't. So 
I hope you will understand to my life partner that, you know, like, even though I probably, I know I was the one that originally bought that movie, <laughs> that, uh, you know, we do sort of share our movie collection. And I know that it's shitty of me that every once in a while I go insane and I throw away movies without consulting him. <laughs> I know that if the tables were turned, I might feel some kind of way about that. <laughs> but at least I don't throw away his movies. <laughs> and I have a good reason. Okay, it's the only movie, like... Oh, I did throw away one other movie. It was one called Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which has Sarah Jessica Parker in it. It's like an 80s movie. I don't actually... I've only watched it once, and I only own it because a friend of mine gave it to me for my birthday because she just thought I would like it or maybe she was getting rid maybe she didn't have anything for me for my birthday that year or something and so she was like hey this movie's still in the wrapper I'm never gonna watch it let's give it to Stephanie <laughs> um so that was those are the only two movies I've thrown out recently even though I've been like wanting to throw out more I just get like that every once in a while like I want to rewatch all of my movies and assess them um, anyway, so I hope you guys are having a great month so far. Like I said earlier, I'm really going to end it now. I'm not going to start talking about some other Chuck Palahniuk book or some shit. Um, and I will come back in two weeks to talk about something else. What do you guys think about Michael Sarah? What do you guys think about Fight Club? Let me know. Um, oh, I guess I should probably like tell you how to contact me and shit. If you would like to email me, mixtressradio at gmail is the way to do that. If you would like to see the other shit that I do on the internet, um, you can follow. I have three different Instagram accounts. <laughs> if you want to follow my personal one, it is called Mixtress Ray. I mostly post about tarot cards lately, and that is M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. And then my um, the one for this podcast specifically is called Mixtress Buffy. And then if you would like to follow my, I also have an internet radio station. So that's under Mixtress Radio. So all three of those Instagram, Mixtress Ray, Mixtress Radio, Mixtress Buffy. Depending on which aspect of me you would like to follow on Instagram, if any. Also, um, my radio show is every Friday from 7 to 10 Central Standard Time. And you can find the details of that on the Mixtress Radio Instagram or my website, which is mixtressray.com, which has my links to all the things. If you would like to send me a one-time tip just for doing the thing that I do, that is paypal.me slash mixtressray, M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E. And then if you would like to become one of my patrons, I actually have some patron perks going on right now. Um, lots of bonus podcasts go up over there to any of my patrons at any level of giving. So even if it's a dollar a month, you get all the benefits. Um, I created some tiers recently, but they're not, I don't understand the Patreon website very well. So ignore the tiers because basically at this point, any patron is getting all the benefits. I've been doing some tarot readings. Any patron has the option to get a personal tarot reading from me. And I've been posting with permission, the ones that I do that I record that people give me permission, I um, will put them up as bonus episodes on the podcast, on the special Patreon-only podcast, patron-only podcast. 
And then I also um, have podcast episodes of each of my Mixtress Radio. Because Mixtress Radio is an internet radio. You have to be there at the, at the certain time and place to listen, at the broadcast time. But for my patrons, I have the talking portions of my radio station. Not the music, because I can't do that for copyright reasons. But the talking portions are edited together as podcast episodes. And I have those up on um, the Patreon RSS feed which just shows up in your podcast player if you're a patron. So if you'd like to become a patron, um, you would have all kinds of crazy benefits. I've actually just recorded like two extra bonus podcasts in the last, um, the last few days, actually. Um, so that would, that is patreon.com slash mixtress Ray. Um, and yeah, let me know if you do become a patron, if you would like a tarot reading from me, and I will um, do that for you. Yeah. I have done two now, and they're like my first official tarot readings. I've created my own tarot spread that is um, called the Ankh spread, so it's in the shape of an Ankh, instead of like typically the spread that most tarot reader readers use as like a general overall spread is a 10 card spread called the Celtic cross spread, but I've never really liked it that much. Um, and it's basically the same, it's the same cards, like the same like, I don't know what you call it, but like, it's still a 10 card spread with the same like assignments for each card, but it's just in a different shape and it's just in the shape of an onk instead of a cross. Um, but anyway, I created my own spread and I've done two readings so far and you can hear them both if you become one of my patrons and you can get a reading of your own if you would like. And I always pick songs. I've been like forgetting to actually say them in the podcast episodes, but I pick songs for people too, not just cards, but also songs. Um, so yeah, if you want to become one of my patrons, again, that's patreon.com slash Ray. And I will see you guys again in two weeks with another episode of What's This Bitch Talking About? Bye!